I don't dwell on it for too long because I think that if you do, you're going to end up sitting there going, oh, did I make the right choice? Did I choose the right path? But at the same time, you kind of go, just make a choice that you feel the most comfortable with right now and then just don't look back. Because if you start looking back, that's when you start getting regrets. And, you know, the grass you will always look greener because you haven't gotten, gone down that path and you don't know what would have happened if you did and you never will. In this episode, I talk to my friend, Debbie Steer. She's a film and animation producer based in Sydney, Australia. How's it going, Deb? I'm good. How are you? I am very well. Thank you for doing this. It's always weird when you ask a friend to do it because it's like, what are we going to talk about? (laughs) I'm intrigued as well. (laughs) Well, I think... Your story is really worth sharing, don't you? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, you know, obviously when you're in it, you don't think it's that remarkable. But um, I guess I've, you know, there's been some twists and turns that are quite unusual for most people. So yeah, and yeah. I think it's a fun, right, I'll, I'll quickly give, I'll set the background, and you tell me uh, if it needs correcting. Mm-hmm. We met, I think, two thousand seven or eight. Yeah, I, I was so excited because. We were both filmmakers, and I was always looking for somebody who's a producer. Uh, Being a writer and director, I was always looking for a producer, and I'd never really met anyone who called themselves a producer until I met you, and you you called yourself a producer, so I thought, okay, cool. If she calls herself a producer, then that's a start. (laughs) I don't know how good she is, (laughs) but she wants to be a producer. So we were really excited. We started some projects together. And then you got a random job in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about that. Like, do you remember how, how did that come about and why um, did you? I mean, it? It, it was really random and not something that, you know, many people would be able to relate to. But it, uh, basically it boiled down to a friend of a, a friend of my mother's, my mum's my best friend, in fact, like her brother-in-law is uh, owned a a visual effects studio in Australia mm. and she said to me you know if you ever wanted to do an internship there we could probably arrange it and I didn't really think much of it at the time because I thought well how the hell do I even get to Australia I didn't even know there was a working holiday visa or anything like that so and it was only like a year after she told me that that I actually followed up and went actually I would really love to go and do that because it's a much you know it was kind of like we were making our own films at the time and this was a company that was actually making movies I'd heard of. And Mm. I thought I'm going to, I want to give that a shot. So I contacted the family friend and I said, Hey, do you remember a year ago? And they were like, yep. (laughs) And so they just forwarded, forwarded my email straight to the CEO of this company in Australia. And he replied all and said, Oh yeah, sure. Where is she? And, um, I replied back. She's 13,000 miles away. (laughs) (laughs) Because my mum's friend actually was based in Malaysia. So, um, and then like within a week, I had a Skype interview. Awesome. And it, I actually wasn't successful during the interview. I was really stupidly nervous. Mm. The producer felt that I was very, uh, I was too indie. I was too independent and like I didn't have any which, you know, studio experience. Which you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she just felt that I wouldn't like sort of, uh, I might not work out in a bigger studio. And um, so I was feeling really disappointed and really kind of dejected and thought, wow, you know, like my one shot 
then wait, I, I emailed wait, him wait. back. And... When you say you were dejected, did you get immediate feedback during the Skype interview? No, or? no, I didn't. So, so you I... were just feeling dejected because of how it went, in your opinion? Yes. Or did, did you actually yeah. hear and something? Yeah, and I also back? and I, I followed up within like a few days and said thanks so much for meeting me and etc. And then she replied saying. I'm sorry, but I won't be offering you anything. I felt that you, you know. Oh, um, okay. So I was like, wow, okay. I just emailed him back and said, hey, thanks so much for the opportunity. It seems like I wasn't the right fit. And he went, oh, hold on. And then he just pinged my email to another producer <laughs> in the same company. <laughs> and this guy, Michael, he, um, he called me up and said, hey, I just got your CV and I'm really interested. And uh, what I've actually got an opening in a couple of weeks. And I said, I'm in, I'm in the UK. And he went, okay, three weeks. <laughs> and I said, right. Okay, sure. And then he said, okay, I'll set up an interview with my production manager and you can start. So he was asking me to start again. So I was going to get a production assistant role. Mm. And I said, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm used to kind of jumping around, you know, when you get trying to get through the door, you kind of have to take a few steps back. Absolutely. And, um, so I, you know, I was on tender hooks waiting for this introduction to the production manager and then a week later passed and no email. And I was like, Oh, right. I said, Oh, Hey, you know, so I emailed him and I said, Hey, Michael, uh, you know, I was just following up on that meeting with the production manager and he went, Oh, don't worry about it. Just come. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And that was it. So I actually never got a formal interview for this job. Wow. Um, and I just showed up and, um, yeah, then took it from there really. Awesome. <laughs> luckily, like there's loads of things that fell into place for me, but I, I really had to get going and, and luckily, you know, you know, my partner at the time, Jay, he was quite willing to kind of, uh, take all my stuff and store mm. it and like, you know, look after it because I, you know, we, you remember we, we had loads of equipment. Like mm. I had a lot of equipment. I had my own business. Mm. Uh, and at the same time, because I was exploring other avenues, from indie filmmaking, I'd actually started a job at the film, uh, I think it was the film council. I was only mm. there for like uh, two weeks when I had to <laughs> resign and say I'm leaving. Mm. So, yeah. And that, that job was going to go pretty well as well, I think. And um, But in the end, I just decided to take the risk and go to Australia. Wow. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> awesome. that's how I arrived in the shores. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was very, a lot of things were very serendipitous, you know, like um, I was just, I mean, I was in my late 20s then, so very much like on the cusp of not being able to be eligible anymore for a working holiday. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, and the fact that working holidays are granted overnight. So just listening to that first part of your story, mm. I noticed one big lesson. <laughs> and I wonder if people relate to this, but something that you did, you mentioned it twice, the follow-up and the chase-up emails, because the, the trail kind of went cold, but you followed it up. It did. The, the first time you yeah. followed up uh, to say, like, thank you, sorry, it didn't go well. And then the guy said, actually, let me pass you on to this other producer, right? Yeah. And then you had the call with the other producer and then nothing came about. So then you followed up again and then said, hey, how's yeah. it going? So... That's you key. Know, Even though it sounds really obvious, a lot of us don't do that. I don't do that. And I wonder how many people notice yeah. that that did you notice that those were key things? Was that always part of your personality to follow up and to chase? Um I think it started once I decided that I wanted to get into the industry for, you know, into bigger productions like um 
No, probably before that. I think, I don't know. I think I was just trying to be, you know, conscientious of, you know, being appreciative of their attention and, you know, but at the same time, you kind of have, it's that fine balance between being annoying and, you know, getting your way. I mean, I've, I've had many doors closed at me and it's just, it was just more of a, the first time I, 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 I returned, you know, and I said, thank you. It didn't go well. I, that was really just a thank you because I was yeah. you know, really appreciative of someone that high up, like even bothering to read my email. <laughs> like, mm. you know, you can imagine how busy he was. And, um, the second time, you know, yeah, well, the second time I kind of felt like I already had the job. So I was like, Hey, if, if you do want to offer me that role, I really need to stop. Packing <laughs> <it>. <laughs> so, yeah, but it, I mean, I think, um, generally I, I, I would always like, if it's, especially if it's a lead like that, I always do, you know, stay on it. But at the same time, this is, is that fine line. Don't, you know, don't piss them off as well. Mm. You can be too, too eager and too in their face and that can, you know, sour things quite quickly because someone will be, you know, like, uh, it's actually something that I've, I really kind of figured out recently. And it's like you, those first few impressions of someone is kind of like very, that person's going to think that that's your personality. Mm. So you have to be really sort of um, just in tune with the kind of person that you're dealing with and how busy they are and, you know, just making mm. sure that you don't uh, overwhelm them or make your presence annoying. And having been on both sides, yeah. you're probably the same. Like I've been, you know, chasing yeah. a job and I've also ad advertised jobs and hired. And when I'm on the other side receiving it, I know that I always respond to people who chase. Even though I know yeah. that when I'm on the chasing end, sometimes I'm reluctant to chase and I'm, and it's a, it's a weird thing. How do you feel about that? Like, have you, you know, when you're on the other side? I agree because, um, I, it's, it's one of those things as well. It's just, um, the people who do chase, you kind of have to reply to them because yes. you don't want to, you're, you're representing a brand, you know, be it yourself or your, the company you're working for. Mm. And there's a certain uh, politeness out of it that you have to follow through in saying that I, you know, obviously we'll move on to what I do right now, but I do get quite harassed. Mm. Uh, and at some point you kind of have to go, okay. And I, I usually just forward it to HR most of the time. But if I, if I feel like I've dealt with that person before and they're getting back to me again and mm. it's not, you know, new information, then I'd probably pretty much just have to just file it away and go, okay, yes, I know you're, you're there. I'm just, mm. So it does get tricky when it comes to right now, like, um, cause I hire a lot of people now. So I had another, I had another thought recently. I was, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell. He wrote a book called talking to strangers. He talks about mm -hmm. how we cannot learn much about people from meetings and interviews. So basically, you know, everything there is to know from, from their profile, from, from paper. And Charlie Munger is another person who says that, like, mm. we all think we can judge people, but really a face-to-face -face meeting can harm more than help. And then one more thing, I'll add Shaquille O'Neal. Mm -hmm. And Shaq always talks about when he came into the NBA, he refused to... So their equivalent of job interviews. Uh, he refused to attend any training camps with the different clubs. So if you want me, just... Offer it to me. I'm not going to come and interview for you. So what do you think about that approach in terms of refusing the interview, just letting your profile speak for itself? I'd say that for, for our industry and the industry I'm in at the moment, is it's a unique scenario where I actually 
don't interview many people and I let them their work speak for themselves. Really? So we actually have a yeah, we actually have a screening system where we 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 can uh, people can work from home. So most of the time I actually we just test them on their skill level. So they'll be sent um an animation test to do at mm. home. And if they pass, then we hire them remotely. Awesome. And then it's only through engagement with them through our team. So they actually get in, introduced to the team and start straight away. And then obviously we do like a, a quick reference check and things like that. But um, once we've done that, they come on and then we see how they go and if they're responsive to feedback and if they're, you know, adapting to our, to our um, project, then we keep them. And sometimes that's actually gone full circle and into a job in Australia for them. Mm. All right, I want to I want to quickly get back to the story. Mm. So you land sure. in Australia, <laughs> girl from um, from Manchester. What what are your <laughs> what are your first memories of the first? Because I remember um, I, I I have some memories because I remember those were still that was still really before social media because I I still have a few super long emails from you and that's back in the days yeah. when after you leave you just send a massive group email like the, about yeah you know almost like a blog but it's an email and kids these days don't know anything about that but I so yeah. I wanna, what do you remember about your first week I remember those emails um I think um Obviously, the weather's a big one. Uh, everything's like the, the funniest thing was walking down the street with a sort of a, a vest top one in April, which is considered the start of like, you know, sort of mid autumn. Mm. I get autumn. And, you know, just being quite comfortable and people around me were wearing jackets. Wow. And By I the- was like, I was always overheating and like everybody else is a lot, you know. Yeah. What what yeah, city? That was quite funny. What, what city I'm are we Sydney, talking yeah. about? Okay, Sydney. So you landed and, uh, in Sydney. Where did you stay the first week? Where were you? Where did you um, immediately go? I, For- so I was really lucky that my cousin actually lives here. So I hadn't seen her for a really long time because, you know, my background's. Uh, I mean, I was born and raised in Brazil, and then I moved to Manchester when mm. I was ten. So my cousin was from Brazil to Sydney, and I came via Manchester to Sydney. So. She, I was just in her, yeah, we just, we actually ended up with a bunk bed. I like shared a tiny bedroom with two other girls because mm. she was already room sharing. In Sydney, the, the rent's ridiculously expensive. Mm. You know, I, I went from Manchester renting my own like apartment in a church conversion to mm. sharing a, a small room with a chick from Poland and my cousin Aww. and sleeping on a bunk bed. Yeah, it was like the invasion of privacy was quite, you know, shocking to me. But um, eventually, like once I started earning money, I uh, I moved to an apartment with my cousin, and we lived there for a while. Wow! And how was yeah. so? Are you are you still at the same company now? <laughs> no. Okay, so that company that you first landed at, what what was? Yeah. What did you do? What work did you do when you first started? So uh, in production, we, uh, you know, you start off with a sort of an assistant role. I started off as a production assistant uh, when I when I got there, but within a month they got me into a coordinator role, which is unusual because it usually takes a year. But what? I had a lot of experience, so I took to it really well, uh, even though I'd never done it before. The reason is that because of my independent knowledge, <laughs> in fact, Mm. Um, I've had to, I've, I've like worked on CG software. I've 
had to make my own mm. animation. So everything the crew were talking about, I already understood and mm. and the concept, and I understood how long things took, and I understood the the language, the mm. ten, ten, terminology, and so all of that. I didn't have to learn any of that. It made it really easy for me to manage a team because I understood what they were doing. Mm. Yeah, so it was really easy for me, and like within a, a month, I was. Uh, and I was very inquisitive too, like, because there's a lot of things there that I've never done before. You know, like what we do, Tan, with our time, mm. you know, when we produce something small, we'll be looking at a script and then we'll kind of go, okay, here are the props, here's the, you know, the cast that we need. Mm. With visual effects, which is what I was doing, was like CG animation in, in filmed footage. Mm. And I've kind of played around with that kind of technology before anyway, so I understood all of the steps. But it, like a lot of my learning came from the fact that it was very minuscule detail like it was like you know place these things in this one shot and mm. you know spend weeks creating that one scene and mm. like you know like you and i were shooting we would have done like you know quite a few short films in the amount of time it took to create one shot yeah and the amount of manpower created you know per shot was probably like a quite a, an expensive short film mm. but the key <laughs> um, again key point you you said there is coming coming from the indie world coming from a world where you do everything yourself yeah. it's super useful whereas you know i think that's yeah. a much i think that's a much better path to take than having no experience and then going straight to you know looking for a I, job in a company i really agree and it's uh it's stuff that's like uh it's coming useful so many times i can't tell you you know just being able to think through certain scenarios or when but whenever, like, you know, we were working late or, I, you know, anything like that, like, I I just had the right, for, for the person, for my level, I just had the, the level-headedness to kind of Absolutely. go, okay, my crew's going to be hungry. My, you know, yeah, one of the I, big ones that made, I know that stood out for a lot of my bosses when I started was my willingness to do all of the menial things, you know. Yes. I was willing to go and take the plates to the kitchen. I was willing to, you know, get yeah, around the Yeah, because we're used to doing it. it. It's no big deal yeah. for us. It and, really isn't. Like, I, I, I think I drove to McDonald's a few times. Like, like in this industry, we work crazy hours, and you know, I had some crew there at midnight, and I was like, I'll, I'll grab the company car and I'll drive to McDonald's because there's no one delivering anymore, you know, hmm. and get some food for them. Um, just things like that. Like, yeah, it was. Now, yeah, I completely relate because I was going through the exact same thing at the exact same time. Well, you know, when you were starting that, and I yeah, was, you were, yeah. I was starting on Hollyoaks doing a real yeah. TV show. So I, I was exactly the same as you, meaning I was the only director there who was helping push the dolly, like moving it, yes. um, you know, moving yeah. stands. However, I had a less, it wasn't appreciated because people were like, no, 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 no. the specific jobs, you know, like only these guys can do this. And, you know, director, you, you, that, should, just, you should sit there and just yeah. drink your cup of tea. <laughs> you know, in England, it's all about the tea. Just sit there and drink tea. Uh, so I There's remember that. There's actually reasons for that too. Now that I'm, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah. that I've spent a bit of time, exactly. Uh, I get it. As well. to do it. Yeah, yeah. But we, but at the time, you just exactly think, get it done so we can get more footage. And <laughs> exactly. You know. At the time, you're just like, I'm here. This thing is here. Instead of waiting for somebody across the room to come over, why don't I just move it? But yeah, of course, we, yeah. we get the uh, the protocols now. <laughs> Let me ask you now about some of your mottos and lessons that you learned. 
throughout the next few years.、Um, do you have a motto or a set of rules or a rule or a quote that you live by today that you've developed over、yeah. the years? Yeah. So、um, there's, a, I mean, I have a few. I don't think there's anything that kind of encompasses the way I, I, I execute certain ideas. But like, you know, lucky, lucky for me, I started off with quite a set ideal of where I wanted to head. But you know, there are always crossroads. There's always a, you know, a job offer here or、um, a rejection there. And I, I think most of the time, I've always, whenever I've had to contemplate a really hard decision, I've kind of weighed it up. But just、uh, in the end of the day, I realize that whichever choice you go for. It's it, there's never right and wrong choice. It's not as black and white as you'd think. Like、mm. there's pros and cons for each choice, so you kind of just weigh those up. Kind of, I don't, I don't dwell on it for too long because I think that if you do, you're going to end up sitting there going, "Oh, did I make the right choice? Did I choose the right path?" But at the same time, you kind of go, just make a choice that you feel the most comfortable with right now, and then just don't look back because if you start looking back, that's when you start getting regrets and. You know the grass will always look greener because you haven't gone gone down that path,、mm. and you don't know what would have happened if you did, and you never will. So, I love it. I f- I find it quite easy to make decisions. A lot of people struggle, but interesting.、Um, I want to know more about、yeah. that.、Um, why do you find it easy to make decisions? Um, and、uh, because I don't always feel like it's. I don't think my path has been straight. Hmm. I think it's very zigzaggy, and it's like it, every experience is going to be beneficial. So, you know, just going, just feeling like you're moving forward and you're learning something new is more important than making the exact right choice at that moment. Okay,、um, you said before that you you started with a set idea where you wanted to head.、Um, mm-hmm. What do you, what do you mean? Like, what was your idea? What, where did you want to head towards?、Um, well, I, obviously, that that idea has evolved over the years as of. In, understood the industry more, but、uh, I think from the very beginning it was down to when I was very really young. It was down to the kind of shows I was watching on TV and what I was seeing. I kind of I loved the idea of being able to. I thought it was directing. I actually thought that's what I wanted to do.、Mm. Uh, you know, to kind of choose what happens on screen and how the actors act and things like that. So I kind of went down that for a while, but I actually didn't find that much satisfaction in directing. Mm. And realized that producing was more what where I was going for because I wanted to, you know, even before then make the choices about who's going to direct and who's going to act and exactly how yeah okay so that was that was the path you always saw for yourself sorry not the path、yeah. that was the goal you always saw for yourself but then the path、yes. you took there was no set path you just you know you just had the end vision in mind and you were fluid、yeah. in terms of what path where the path would. Go as long as it's、yeah. in a general direction. Yeah, exactly. If, as long as it was in a general correct direction, I was、uh, willing to kind of try anything really and see where it, where it led me. Awesome. What are you? What What do you do now?、Um, I'm a supervising producer for animation, and basically that means that I I supervise other producers who work on shows. At the moment, I have two TV series running at the same time. Yeah, and I have a producer under me for each one, and they run the actual series day to day, and I just look after it in terms of you know is it heading in the right direction and supervise them and、uh, wow, that's and so awesome, Deb. 
So how long? Twenty two thousand eight. So twelve years. Or、oh, how long did it take you to go from intern to supervising producer? Uh, I've been supervising for a year now, I guess, just、okay. under a year. So, oh no, a year. It's a year. Yeah. And are you a permanent resident now? Are you an Australian citizen? I'm an Australian citizen as well. Nice. When did you get your citizenship?、Mm. Actually, a while ago now. I think it was five years after I got here, or,、wow. or thereabouts, five or six years. So it went through. I probably got one of the, you know, a.、Uh, I managed to do it in a really short amount of time for someone who wasn't. Who she was going to stay in Australia. Exactly,、months. I know. My gosh. Yeah. So、um, everything fell into place. It was so bizarre. Like.、Um, yeah, I, I want to talk. Sorry, go on. Yeah, go on. No. Well, I want to talk about that. So basically, everything、okay. fell into place for you. However. You still had to make the right decisions, and you still had to be ready to spot the opportunities and grab them when they come. When they come, right? That's how I see、yeah. it. Even though everything fell into place, they wouldn't have fallen into place if there was no place for them to fall into. And I think you had to create that place for things to fall into. If if you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, I guess. But、and、I, I think never. You did that. <laughs> yeah. What company are you working for now?、Uh, it's called Feinbach Productions. And what are some of the projects that you've been most proud of that you've done? Um, so the most recent one is called、uh, Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So、yeah. that's a two. We're on second season now. Nice. So like this kind of work is like done half in at Nickelodeon in the US and half in Australia. Yeah. So we work with Nickelodeon to create the animation for that show, and it's all hand drawn. Wow. The the, the pride. Bit comes from the fact that there was no, not really any kind of hand-drawn industry in Australia for a very long time,、mm. and we kind of rebooted it. So I think、uh, there used to be a Disney Australia, like、um, back in the old traditional paper animation mm. days, mm. and they they did like a lot of the people I work with,、uh, you know, did like things like、uh, Lion King too and、mm. things like that. Like、uh, that's the only one I can remember, but there's loads of them. <laughs> 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 like all of the the sort of almost direct TV. Or DVD kind of stuff, but it's、mm. all really beautifully animated. And once Disney shut shop in Australia, and I think it was like 2006 or something like that, you know, there's been not, not really been any kind of industry in that kind of style of animation since. And we reset that up with a、uh, this show, and now、mm. we've got like uh, uh, we've got two shows running now with about 120 people. Wow!、Yeah. What an achievement.、So. What a career you've had, Debs! <laughs> Did it make you wonder, like, like when you first got on the plane all those years ago?、Mm. Did you wonder, like, is there nobody local that they could have looked at? Did you ever think about that?、Uh, no, I actually didn't. I assumed there were. In <laughs> fact, when once I got promoted, I we did hire a local guy. <laughs> so, what made them want to bring somebody from? Is it thirteen or fifteen thousand mile kilometers? I don't even know. Oh, I volunteered to pay for my flight. Ah, wait! You got to tell me that. That's huge, because <laughs> you know I'm trying to find like good, good lessons to learn here. So, yeah, go the extra mile. Go out of your way. Yeah, that, to them it didn't make any difference whether they hired me or not, or, or someone local. But like now that I'm in the, the position that they were in, it's actually become a lot more complicated. Like Australia's got more.、Um, 
like you've got to have a certain number of percentage of Australian workers in your company, et cetera. Mm. So you can't just hire a hundred percent overseas mm. people. So, you know, that part of that quota means that, you know, for, jo- you know, low skilled jobs, which is what it was. Mm. You were taking a huge risk. You don't think? Yeah. Did you see it as a risk? Uh, what, what's that kind of personality where you're just like, you're a high risk taker? It doesn't really, it never, I mean, obviously one of the key things for me is that I don't find moving that much of a big deal. Mm. And I don't find uprooting a huge deal because we did it a lot in Brazil when I was younger. And so making new friends, that's like, na- you know, being that's in a brand new you. situation, it really wasn't a big deal for me. <laughs> It was an adventure. Like, I, I see it as fun. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So just to cap off, decisions. I still want to get something from you for that. Do you think... Sure. Are you... A, okay, let me ask you a different way. Um, you feel that you're a good decision maker. What do you see from others who don't make such good decisions? Why is that the case? Why do people make bad decisions? I don't think there's such a thing as a bad decision. I think that, um, you know, you have to weigh the pros and cons for each, you know, if you're making a choice A or choice B. But what I do versus someone who makes a bad choice is that I don't look back and think about choice B too much. I just kind of keep moving forward. Right. Um, Because, like, if you keep, you know, ruminating and going around, it's actually quite useless, really, isn't it? It's such a waste of time. I love that. Um, so simple and so obvious because once you've made a decision, it's only a bad decision if you compare it to what you... The other one. Th- yeah. yeah, the other one. But you, like it's past. Ah, I love it. I love it. So if you, if you don't and compare it, then it's not a bad decision. It's just, a, it's just on your path. You just continue. Yeah. And, you know, like, you, you don't know what the other decision would have been. You, you, I mean, you know, who knows? Like, unless you've got a twin who took the other one. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. In a parallel universe or something. Yeah. But in this like universe, like, you can only go forward. And in fact, you know, one of those was the new job that I got offered, you know, when I was telling you about mm. uh, that job actually felt like a week later. It was for Fury Road with Mad Max. And a week later, it had rained in the desert they were going to film so they wow. had to cancel the shoot <laughs> i love that film i love mad max fury road yeah so it was meant to start a year and a half before it actually started ah. and i was hired to work on the visual effects for it and mm. um it rained in uh in broken hill where they were going to film and the whole shoot was cancelled and they had to basically make everybody redundant so i would have literally been starting on my first day with a letter saying i'm sorry you can't mm. <laughs> You can't stay. So actually, that was probably one of the ones where I was like, you know, you, you really it is like you. And even if I had chosen that one and that had happened, I know that I would have been offered something else and gone a different way. So it's not I don't think it was that, that was the only one where I could actually see the other path would have kind of ha- that was what would have happened. But even then, I think I would have still been OK with it. Mm. Yeah, um, that, that's a key. Sometimes you see the other path. So that I think that's when it becomes difficult, you know, when the there's a fork in the road, you choose path B, but then you see where path A led. And sometimes you can't help but compare. So I guess if it's hypothetical, it's easier to just forget about it. But if you can actually see, oh God, if I had yes. chose this, that's 
what I would have been. I would have been made redundant. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what if it was something better? That that's when when it really kills people. Like, oh, I chose this, but if I would have chose that, then. Oh no, it's also happened. Like you know, I I turned down a movie that you know that won loads of awards, the Lego Movie. Mm. I turned that one down to work on a smaller sh- movie, but in the end of the day, I I did it because I mean, you, you, I could sit there and go, oh, I, sh- I should have done that one, but I chose the other one because I got more responsibility and I got more. Mm. And with the yeah, with Lego Movie, I, I, it would have been the same role, but um, under different circumstances, it would have been kind of more shared and more spread out. And this one, I ended up in a smaller movie where I did a lot more, kind of was in charge of the whole thing. So you can't. I don't know. I think you just can't. So true. So true. You can't. Well, the key is you can't regret it. Again, that's a super. Hey. That's a super obvious point. I don't regret. We can't afford regrets. Yeah. Regrets do nothing for you. They don't. And there's yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can change. So I yeah, I guess I just try not to waste my time thinking about things that you can't. You know, you can't rewind. Okay. You know, you were asking what, about mottos, but one of my other mottos is to always go for. I, I I always go for passion over financial gain. So mm. like if I've I've often had like two job offers at the same time or something like that, I'll just go back to job offers because that's mainly what we're talking about here. But um, you know, I've I've always geared myself towards something that's going to project me forward in my career or in my in my skills over money. Mm. So um, yeah, to me, I, I always try and think about which one's going to take me project me further along regardless of the uh, financial gain and because of that whole you know you, you're saying like I move around a lot and stuff and um, I I always adapt like so if I have like low income for a while I just adapt to that and, and that's mm. okay I can say that with luxury though can't I <laughs> because I have a, a high paying job and like it's not really going to make a difference if and I... no kids don't and forget no kids. that is yeah. that's also key for you yeah, I think that that obviously helped me a lot, didn't it? I mean, I didn't have to any responsibility for anyone else. Mm, I um, love it. So awesome. I'm not going to really like. <laughs> I'm I'm preaching from a, a point of privilege. Yes. <laughs> in a way. How often do you go back to Manchester? Um, at the moment, I'm aiming for every two years. Um, but for now, for now, you don't plan to do any more moves. Sydney is. Where you will find Debbie. For now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't say for now. It's um, been 12 years. This is the longest you've been <laughs> anywhere. Yeah. Um, well, but I'm still moving around in companies in Sydney. So I don't mm. know what, what you consider a state. But uh, that's just the nature of an industry anyway. But uh, at the moment, I've got a really good crew. Uh, we're all very fond of each other. And we, you know, always say that we're like an extended family, really. And... Awesome. When you're a producer, you end up being quite mother. The mother, yeah. So I have, you know, you might have, how many kids do you have? Two? Two. Yeah, I've got a hundred. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Also, and then 20 supervisors, so 25 supervisors. Um, I hear that. Yeah. (laughs) But no, I like... Yeah, there's a lot of people that kind of rely on me quite heavily for emotional and uh, support as well. And I kind of like that part, aspect of my job. So mm. um, so what uh, are you working on right now? Or what's the next cool thing you're going to be working on? Um, so right now I'm working on a, a, a Lego series 
ironically, mm. but through my own team. So we're trying a traditional animation Excellent. Lego series. Traditional so animation. Look. What do you mean traditional animation? Yeah. So traditional animation for us these days means hand drawn frame by frame. Okay. So every frame is drawn by someone. Because I was thinking with Lego, when you said traditional, I was thinking stop motion or something. Yeah. So that's also traditional. This is 2D traditional, yeah. So um, what you end up with is a really quite large number of people who you can draw. And uh, all of them have got different sort of uh, skill sets. And um, you just combine them into one big old factory line and produce some stuff. And is that TV series or film? So that one's a TV series, yeah. Uh, we're looking at releasing it sort of mid mid this year. Awesome. I will keep a lookout for it. My kids mm. are going to love it. Lego fanatics. Cool. All yeah. right. I'm going to let you go. So thank you so much, Deb, for doing You're this. You're welcome. Thanks. It was super fun. All Th- right, Han. Thanks again. That was Debbie Steer from Flying Back Productions. I would like to thank Debbie once again for a fun chat and I would like to thank you for listening. I'm Tan Lei. This is Noticing the Obvious. Join me again next time.